It's going good. How are you? Not, wait, no. Not bad? Not bad. <laughs> Mayo, usually when we record this thing, we say, I say, how's it going? You say, pretty good. I say, not bad. <laughs> I don't know if not bad's right right now. <laughs> yeah. I had COVID in February, and mm. now it's your turn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not the worst case scenario. Better to have it, it now than two years ago. I'd put it that way. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hard, hard to get sympathy these days. You know, it's like yeah, no one's gonna listen to you. But no, our our, our colleague Chance was getting married. Yes, uh, on like Friday night <laughs> this week, and he her, he texted me on Saturday. His his first fiance had COVID, and then he had COVID. So they've yes. managed to push everything back uh, seven days. So. That's not not, not ideal. <laughs> yeah, not ideal. Uh, I didn't. I didn't um, like get invited to an Apple event or anything. So you know, not the micro status. That's good. You know, so many people have it at the moment, and like they do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, my I, mine. So I I really haven't like left my house to go out in public in a big way. Honestly, I don't even like shop or go out to eat. I just I've gotten really comfortable with delivery and everything. Not out of like paranoia either. It's just like laziness. But um, yeah, I haven't really gone out since February. And then for the Fourth of July weekend, I went out of town and rolled some, rode some roller coasters and saw a rocket launch and et cetera, et cetera. I saw some friends and um, was coming back on Monday and, and had a sore throat. And then by Tuesday, I was like, oh, I take a test. First test I've ever taken it was positive. So, Wait, you've never had to take a test in two and a half years? Wow. Never. No, I haven't even had like a cold or anything that I can recall. Like, wow, that's crazy. Just never been suspicious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I had it in February, obviously. But like before right. that, I was, you know, a few times in the year you'd have to take it because everyone was just mm-hmm. getting bad colds and stuff too because everyone was locked inside and not like mm-hmm. mingling. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But. Three, three times vaxxed, you know? So that, you know, reassurance, but... Uh, I guess it could what, be what, what was nice for us is that the UK gave out free tests for like two years, but they my, just my stopped test, like two months yeah. ago. So my test was one of the free ones from. Oh, from you, okay, my, you do get free ones in America. That's nice to hear. Yeah, we got we got two tests way later than than the UK got any tests, um, and then they did another round more recently. But I just had the first. I had the it's, it's two 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 packs of two tests. Oh, so they like delivered you some free ones? I see through through the mail. Yeah, it was a right because in right because in yeah. England you could just like order them online. They just like send them to you whenever you uh, wanted. Like it wasn't like you only get two or you only get four. It was like you need some tests. <laughs> They're gonna arrive if you order them. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They stopped all that in like March because COVID's over, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. Uh, Monday was a little rough. Tuesday was pretty rough. Yesterday, Wednesday was really rough. Today. Uh, I'm on. I'm, I have an hour of energy, so let's record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, you'll be uh, back on your feet next week. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apple TV. This was Apple a TV. thing. The Apple the Apple Store went down uh, between Thursday and Friday overnight in a way that was like, are they gonna are they gonna open up pre orders for the MacBook Air? Like, what's going on? You know. And um, several hours went by, and it was just this really weird, goofy <laughs> Apple TV gift card promo. Every time the store goes down, 
there's like a contingent of like the Twitter who are like, wow, this must mean they're introducing a major new product right now. And then there's other people like, this doesn't mean anything at all. And the truth is, it's always, it could be any, it could be anywhere on that spectrum. They, they take the store down when they want to. Like there yeah. are some rough rules, like before an event, generally they only take the store down if like, Stuff's going out for pre-order or there's new hardware. But that's not like a hard and fast rule. They break it all the time when they want to. It's just a PR tool they roll out when they when when they feel like it. I think there are some occasional like website maintenance things where they generally do have to take the store down for a little bit to actually do some... Because like, what other store goes down? Yeah, they don't have... Like, for 99% of the time that, that they take the store down, it's just marketing, right? There's right. that 1% time where they they are actually probably doing like some store update that actually has some backend implication. So they have to, like, maybe they didn't have to take it down, but rather than having some people see like error pages and stuff, they're like, we'll just make it a little, a little thing. And, but usually when that happens, the text on the like the store down page says different things. It says like, we're having some maintenance or something. Whereas this one was like the standard, we'll be back soon, you know, we're updating the store for you. But it was just it wasn't a, it wasn't anywhere near as extreme as the MacBook Air orders or anything like that. It was if and you had to dig like the st- the pages came back up and like the front the front homepage and stuff was like identical. But after a couple of minutes, people found this little blue banner that now appears on the Apple TV 4K and Apple TV HD pages of the store, which basically say if you buy one right now, you can get a fifty dollar gift card when you buy it. So this is the start, I guess, of them bringing the price down. So that's a good. It's effectively a hundred dollars for an Apple TV. <laughs> for the Apple TV HD. Yeah. And only and this deal is only available in America in the US store. This is and it only event. runs for two weeks according to the promo terms and conditions. So you have mm. between like July first to July fourteenth if you want to get a fifty dollar gift card. This is what quite meant about the cost structure. It's yeah. <laughs> if you lower the price but only by making the currency Apple currency that you can you know, you can only spend it on Apple, they still benefit. Yeah, I mean, if you want an Apple TV right now, it's not a terrible offer. You get fifty dollars off. I mean, it's I'd... really, it's really random. I would say, but it is pretty random. Like, yeah. are they just doing this because they got a load of inventory they need to draw down before there's actually a, a model refresh in the, in the September or something? But because you know, what Apple's like they have too much pride to actually do like discounted prices or like clearance pricing. It's like it's very rare. Yeah. It's incredibly rare. They're like, you know what we're doing instead. I mean, most of the time, they just leave it at the exact same price forever and do nothing at all. But if they really pushed, they have to uh, give you a gift card. I think with the HomePod 2018, they did actually they did actually drop the price on that, right? Like, after two years, they, the price did actually just went straight down. It was down just like that. a strategy change, yeah. Yeah. Less and, less but but before that, they tried other stuff, too. Like, I remember in the UK and some other markets, if you... You get like fifty dollars off a HomePod if you subscribe to Apple Music. They like send it out to all Apple Music customers, as you know. So they were trying to shift them in different ways, but they eventually just resorted to okay, the thing's cheaper for everybody for a little bit. Um, but this is like not that not that extreme, so they can't be struggling to sell that much, but enough that they need to give you a fifty dollar gift card offer. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, what we all want is the actual price that you pay to be. $50 cheaper or more because if you want to get the I think the Apple TV 4K should be $99 and is $179 so if you, you take $50 off you're still at $129 you know and you want another $30 to get before I feel like you get into like the actual reasonable pricing for that for that unit but I don't think even if they are preparing a Apple TV 4K 2 that is going to be that cheap in three months time the way Apple works they're not going to 
change the price to that now. They, I, I honestly think they'd rather just like not sell any and then have like the spectacle of being like, and now we're dropping the price. You know, like they, they'd yeah. rather do that than even like clearly, clearly units out. Yeah, it would, it would be the third Apple TV 4K, right? It would, yeah, because yeah. they the the Apple TV 4K came out in 2017. Then they refreshed it with the remote last year, like the new remote, and so this would be a third iteration. Got a little chip jump there too. Yeah, right. yeah, they upgraded the chip, and the one coming this fall is apparently another chip update. So the 2020, 2021 one was A12. The rumor for this new refresh is A14, so skipping A13 altogether. I remember saying last year that I thought the A12 was kind of dated for something that doesn't get updated very regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, and here we are again. I guess they're going to update it regularly. <laughs> or maybe this is the one where they leave it for a long time. Yeah, maybe this is the one where they leave it for a long time. Like... I'm not expecting to change the design or do anything crazy or make it a stick shape. Like, just do whatever you need to do to get the price down. And as we've spoke about in the show many times before, I don't think they even need to do anything to get the price down apart from swallow some pride. But they want to keep the margin, so they're going to do. You know, maybe maybe they're most made out of plastic now rather than metal or something. You know, just to help push the price down. As long as they can get it down to a level where they don't have to sell the Apple TV HD anymore, I'd be happy. I mean, ideally that's ninety nine dollars, but even if it's like. 129 for the Apple TV 4K, right? That, that's good enough for me. I'd take that. Just you know, you you have to take the wins when they when they give them to you. But if if you're asking me what they should do, it should be 99 dollars to match the HomePod Mini. But there yeah. we are. Yeah, it's it's not a 4K TV. It's, you know, if it's like if you're like you're like it was a big price difference, I guess. And if you're or, or, or there once was between a 1080p TV and a 4K TV, but this is just like output. It's even even like you know. I mean, you can buy whole, you can buy cheap 4K TVs for not much more than the yeah. 179 price of the set-top box that Apple sells you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Another thing is the change with uh, Apple Music student pricing. There's a, there's a promo there too, right? Yeah. So if you subscribe to Apple Music as a student, I think it's new subscribers only. Yeah, not available to existing customers. Um, as a little like sign-up bonus, as long as you stay subscribed for a few months, you can get. Beats Flex earphones for free, which are normally sold for about fifty dollars. So they they were fifty, and they went up to like eighty. I think they did a weird price jump. Like I don't know. Remember, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, they just they were had so some inflation. At, yeah, they were so good at fifty dollars, and then they're like, eh, yeah. So they were forty nine ninety nine. Now they're sixty nine ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So not bad. a nice price, despite that number. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Huh. So yeah, that was. I mean, I think Beats Flex are pretty decent headphones for like entry level headphones. So if and remember the the Apple yeah. Music student plan is only four ninety nine a month, and you need to subscribe for like a month or two, ten dollars you get a free fifty dollar headphone, sixty dollar headphones. I mean, Beats Beats Flex. Remember they they began as Beats uh, Beats or the X, right? Like, yes. Yeah. That yes. Was, it was Beats and then like a super super script X, I think, or something. Yeah, because they, they were, were like the first. They were the first W one chip. First W one chip headphones. Yeah, they came released. out like first, even before the AirPods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had a bad reputation because they kept breaking and stuff, and mm-hmm. they eventually and they, replaced and, them with the Beats Flex. And they're wireless, but they're like wired in between. So yeah, and so it's like it's like neck. It's like you put a wire between the two around your neck, rather than like true, truly wireless earbuds. But from what we've, I mean, it's a few years now since the Flex came out, and. I don't mm-hmm. think they've accrued the same reputation of breaking. So that's good because the Beats yeah. X would like almost consistently break for almost everybody after like a year. So Yeah. I, I was a huge I had review units of the of the the first Beats Flex release and 
it's one of those things where yeah, it's better than the it's got USB C charging as well, and it's just like it's better than what came before in every way, including the price. Um, like that forty nine dollar price was just like this. This seems unreal. <laughs> um, but uh, when they when they brought it up at twenty dollars, well, not, not quite as compelling. But oh well. But suddenly they've got room to give it to you for free if you subscribe to Apple Music for ten dollars two months. Funny, funny how these things work out sometimes. <laughs> Happy Hour this week is brought to you by Mosul. Mosul is giving you a chance to win a new 14-inch MacBook Pro or a new Mac Studio, so keep listening. Mosul is the only Apple unified platform, meaning it's the only solution that fully integrates device management, endpoint security, internet privacy and security, device single sign-on, and application management on a single and automated Apple-only platform. With Mosul, businesses and schools can fully automate the deployment, management, and protection of their Apple devices while ensuring it's all done following the best and most modern technologies available for Apple's hardware and software. Mosul platform is available for education and corporate use with a variety of plans, so there's something well-suited for every business, whatever the size. Request a free account today and discover why over 33,000 organizations are using Mosul to automate the management of and security of millions of Apple devices daily. Your free trial account gives you 30 days of full access to all of the features available in the Mosul Fuse package. And like we said before, 9to5Mac is teaming up with Mosul to give away a 14-inch Maverick Pro and a Mac Studio. So hit the link in the show notes for details on how to enter and learn more about the Mosul platform too. Once again, you can enter to win a brand new 14-inch Maverick Pro or Mac Studio. The link is in the show notes. Thanks to Mosul for sponsoring the show. All right, next up is the NFL story. This is one that I read about a few few weeks ago uh, from a CNBC report. And um, I, I got to tell you, Mayo, the details were, were very sharp in my mind when I wrote this story. Today, <laughs> they are not as sharp. So let's walk through it together. Yeah, this is uh, like a couple of weeks old. I mean, I, I tell you what is still sharp in my mind. The uh, happy hour recorded the week before the March Apple event where uh, you said that Apple was not going to get into any sports content at all and all the rumors were wrong. And then no, the very, we- ne- very next week, they immediately announced Friday Night Baseball. <laughs> blur. <laughs> and obviously since then, they've announced the uh, MLS deal, which starts mm-hmm. next year. And they are... That, that's soccer. That's it, soccer, yeah. Yeah, because if you say MLS, I don't... I think machine learning stuff. Like, not, not that the S stands for stuff, but, <laughs> you know, that's, that's me. Yeah, so this, Major this League is, Soccer, i.e. Yeah. football, my football, but American <laughs> football. The American football that the Brits don't care about, that that kind. The Ted Lasso game. This this yeah. one's interesting. The CNBC report is interesting because um, it wasn't like reported as Apple had closed the deal with the NFL and wasn't announcing it until next year because the season hadn't started yet. But it was rumored that that was the case. And this is... There was a rumor from a pretty well-connected... Uh, like Hollywood person that basically said Apple had already signed a deal and they were just yeah. waiting to announce it. I think it was framed as like it's as good as it's like apples to lose and it may even be signed. And this this, this report from CNBC comes you know several weeks later and it gives an updated status on what's going on, which is that um, Apple is still bidding. Like they've they've got their proposal put forward. Um, Let's see who else is it? Uh, Disney Amazon? and Amazon and Apple Disney and Amazon. Have submitted bids to become the new broadcast rights owner of the Sunday ticket package. They submitted the bids weeks ago and the NFL is continuing to be in discussion, i.e. they haven't made any firm decision. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of makes sense to me because, I mean, the whole thing about like, oh, they were going to wait until 
the season starts. Like the season doesn't start for ages. There's no way they were going to keep it under wraps for that long. And as soon as they sign a deal, the NFL is so high profile, it's going to leak out somewhere. So I feel like they're going to announce it pretty soon after the deal closes. I mean, look at what they did for MLS. Like even MLS, the 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 suggestion that Apple was involved with the MLS in some way had leaked like months ago, and mm. we were waiting just to see the full details. And what they did announce, to be fair, was more surprising than what the expectation was because I think the rumors were kind of suggesting on that that it'd be kind of like the Friday Night Baseball arrangement where you'd get like you know a few games a week or something rather than a wholly exclusive arrangement. But that's obviously what happened. Uh, and they announced that like months ahead of the MLS season starting because I think the 2023 season's for MLS starts in February. So, you know, it's more than six months, more than six months uh, lead time. So I expect the same thing to happen with the NFL. When they do finalize an agreement, they'll announce it pretty soon after and say, hey, look, starting next year, yeah. you can get Sunday ticket with us. Because what would it be? It would be that, you know, we know DirecTV didn't bid and they're, they're, they're giving up their their deal. Yeah, because and... you're like streaming has caused the prices to inflate dramatically across the board even with the more recent you know bit of tenderness and share price reductions and investors not quite valuing just raw growth as much as possible in the streaming space the sports packages are still extremely contested because frankly the companies that are bidding for the sports rights are the ones that have the biggest pockets i.e apple amazon and to lesser extent disney but through espn they obviously have a lot of income there for sports content and direct tv paid one and a half billion per year uh, for the existing rights deal but they have said that it's not worth like they've said they've lost money on that straight up as like a for many years now it's like a loss leader thing for them anyway um and they're not interested in paying more and this time around the sunday ticket package is valued at more than two billion dollars mm-hmm. so it's gonna be and it'll probably be like two and a half billion by the time the whole thing's settled like i believe the apple bid is rumored to be in that two and a half billion dollar range so yeah and it's and gonna there's... end up around there and there was some complexity in the CNBC report that I thought was interesting, which is that um, NFL media wants to include a stake in the company as part of the the deal. Like, uh, uh, if they had their way, and th- then they want that. And I guess it's unclear if Apple would want to have anything to do with that. Also, internet. Yeah, and the, the NFL media includes like the old cable network stuff, so, right? Yeah. And the website. Like, does Apple really want to have a buy a stake in a website? I mean, right. That feels kind of all like the nice thing about the MLS deal is that Apple got every single game without uh, like asterisks or confusion, and they basically don't have to do anything because like MLS is taking on all the responsibility of like producing all the games and stuff. They're going to manage it all. Apple just wrote them a check and said, "Look, here we go." You know, <laughs> so it was it was like a win win all round. MLB Friday Night Baseball is kind of similar to that too. NFL is comes with more strings attached, like. You're only ever going to get Sunday ticket, which is only the games on Sundays. And, you know, like Thursday night football is already sold off to Amazon already. So it's already been splintered. You're not going to get a, there's no way, there's no chance at all you're going to get a deal like MLS where you get everything at once. Um, and the NFL is in a, like the predominant sport in America. So they can have much more of a negotiation at the table compared to, you know, even, even, um, baseball, right? So NFL's got A, it's the, the money's like huge because like, Apple's deal for MLS is $250 million per year for 10 years. That's $2.5 billion over the lifetime of the deal, right? Whereas this is $2.5 billion per year. So it'd be $25 billion if they get it for 10 years. So the, the money's on like a completely different scale. And there's all these little like catches. And one of them, like you said, is NFL wants to have Apple or Amazon, whoever gets it, get them take a stake in the old time networks, probably because they... If they do that, then I guess they they all have some sort of interest in keeping 
the old style networks around um and like keeping propping up the parts of the nfl that are maybe not doing as well right but does apple really want to take on that rubbish i think the truth is they don't but Sunday tickets would. worth it to them, so they'll do it sure. if they have to, and they'll just assign some people to manage it, and then not really care about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other, the other big catch in uh, the CNBC uh, report was that when the NFL signed contracts with CBS and Fox for broadcast rights uh, for Sunday Ticket, the deals included language that mandates Sunday Ticket have a premium price, so as not to pull too many eyeballs away from the local market games acquired by the broadcast networks. Basically, what that's saying is, let's say Apple but get, does win the bid for two and a half billion dollars a year, as lo- assuming there's no renegotiation of this of this uh, contract arrangement, Apple wouldn't be able to like give away the games for free because yeah, then it's, they're it's, no it's, longer often going to be yeah, it's going to be between two and four hundred dollars. Like, I think the current rate right now is between two and four hundred dollars a year. Um, for, yeah, you know, so basically, for seasons. the new owners won't be able to significantly lower the price on the out-of-market package, which is currently around three hundred dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of wiggle room in significantly lower. Like, is a hundred dollars a year significantly lower? Is two hundred dollars a year significantly lower? Like, who knows? And that's stuff that gets hammered out by lawyers, I'm sure. But like, I think from Apple's perspective, they they'd love to do like, oh, if you're an Apple TV Plus subscriber, you get this many free standard ticket games. And then you can pay to get everything, right? But maybe the contract arrangements, existing uh, rights, don't will not allow it to happen, which makes it less appealing. Um, and there's even more reason why they're probably they they're they're going to do the MLS model of having like a NFL Sunday ticket would be a separate add-on that you can just right. buy because they'll say, look, NFL Sunday ticket costs a lot. If you want to get it now, you the only way to get it is through us. But we're not going to we're not like and they'll just give it to you whatever price they can get it at. And I'm I'm sure they won't try and you know make like super profits out of it, but They'll just charge whatever the lowest is amount that they're allowed to um, and that covers their costs and stuff. And that draws eyeballs to their overall platform and they'll get people signing up for TV Plus and other stuff down the road. But that kind of like, uh, like not loss leading, but you know what I mean? Like sticker price sell is going to be limited by this uh, contract thing that says it can't be significantly lower than the price of the outmount package. So it's still going to be in the couple hundred dollars, right? Yeah, so my my prediction is that this goes to Disney. Uh, Amazon's already got Thursday Night Football, so you know they they want to have more partners than just Amazon and streaming. And it's too complex for Apple. Not as much incentive, and Disney Disney gets this. <laughs> I will say all these little like gotchas. They would have known when they submitted their bids, quote Sorry. quote, weeks ago, right? Yeah, so it's... they can't be they can't be that much of an obstacle that Apple isn't doing it because the same CNBC report says Apple submitted a bid. So like we'll the bids are the bids are in. It's just the like bids the, are in, and it's just they've got to figure to out what's going to happen. Yeah. Maybe they might split the rights up, or they'll they'll try and negotiate get a better deal. But I can see Apple getting it because I I think the NFL probably doesn't want Amazon to own both Thursdays and Sundays. Like having right. diversity there and competition amongst their providers probably good. And then ESPN. Uh, I mean the 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 issues of the out of market package pricing affect ESPN too because it means like their streaming service ESPN Plus also couldn't offer NFL super cheap so maybe it's less interesting to them but if you if you if it comes down to just who's got the most money and Apple's going to win <laughs> they've got more money to spend but obviously it comes down to how much money are they going to commit right and if it's around two and a half billion that's a competitive offer but maybe Disney really wants it so I guess we'll see hopefully soon when the NFL gets their act together. 
at the same time, plenty of rumors going around that Apple's also hunting other rights. Uh, the Big Ten deal is it is going on at the moment. Apple's reportedly back in talks there. These are like collegiate um, sports. Pac-12 conference have actually moved up their media rights negotiations, so they weren't due to renegotiate media rights for like six months or a year or something, but because they've seen the interest in the market, they've uh, they announced this week that they're actually moving up media rights to start right now, which seems to imply that there's some big company interest. And also, Apple TV Plus is going to Comic Con for the first time, which is interesting. So we're, we're leaving sports now, right? We, we're... <laughs> uh, have you got anything else to say on, on sports? Uh, no, I just like hearing you talk about the Big Ten and Pac-12. <laughs> I, I, the problem is, I only know very cursory understanding of what they actually have but i believe they're like university teams and stuff that's my understanding i, I couldn't i can correct you i'm sorry yeah <laughs> i know nfl and it's about it it's something like that but basically apple's looking at all sorts of sports rights cool the comic-con stuff that's that's uh so the, the, the there's i guess there's a lot of comic cons but san diego uh, comic-con is the biggest one and um and this is the first year apple apple will have a presence there and it's through apple tv and what's what's the breakdown of the of the the shows being presented? Basically, uh, having panels. Yeah, they're doing they're holding panels for Severance for All Mankind, Mythic Quest, as well as like a roundtable quote storytellers Apple TV Plus uh, panel, which will have like producing talent from various shows, including like C and Foundation and stuff, where they'll give you some sneak peeks at like the new seasons. But the the main panels are the Severance for All Mankind and Mythic Quest ones, where they're going to have like all the cast there and they'll talk about things and the audience do questions you know like the usual comic-con thing and then what's really cool is apple's holding like a, a hosting rather like a severance like escape room kind of event thing so if you're there in person you can go to the nearby uh, hard rock hotel and basically simulate like a day at lumen industries you can get inducted and you can work out um you know what it's, it's like to be in any kind of as a, an act as a severed worker so it's like a fun little you know little tour experience and it's all free it's just there to promote the show so that's a pretty and it's a pretty big investment because panels are like you know we just get the cast there they sit at the table they chat right yeah. that's one thing but actually going to the going to the expense and the you know organization of like a activation event thing where they have people come and you know they'll be dressed up and like you know it'll be like a like an escape room maze type scenario so that's like quite a lot of investment for like Apple's first appearance at Comic Con, and I think it's good to see. Like it, it shows they're supporting the shows because the reality is, TV marketing only takes you so far. You have to, if you want to get long running franchises, and stuff like Severance has a chance to embed in that way. You have to go to these conferences, have presences, and you know get fans on board. Even if, even if right now, like an equivalent network maybe have the same viewership of a show that one of these ones uh, gets at Apple and they just don't bother to do it because it's not big enough for them, right? But if you're a growing network and especially a growing network that has the money backing of and the resource of Apple Incorporated, it makes sense to do this because this is the only way you're going to have a shot at actually building out those, you know, modest viewerships into like big things on the scale of something like, you know, Stranger Things or whatever. Hmm. Didn't uh, Ronald D. Moore talk about From Mankind at Comic-Con one year, but it wasn't like Apple TV's presence, of course. I think it's just on a panel. I think else. the I think what happened in that in that twenty nineteen year is that Apple TV Plus had been announced in March, right? And so the the shows, the like the launch shows, were known about. Like For Mankind was known about. And so when Comic Con happened in that summer, there was like 
opportunities for like Ronald D. Moore to like talk to people about For Mankind in like little like briefings and stuff, but it wasn't like an Apple official presence. Right, if that makes yeah. sense. It was like yeah. more ad hoc kind of. And and the funny thing about like Apple's first <laughs> at first time at Comic Con in 2020 and 2021, Comic Con didn't happen because of pandemic. So. Yeah. Really, this yeah. is like their first opportunity to actually do it, but they're they're coming in in full force, which is cool. And if I was in the area, I'd go to that severance thing. It sounds fun. Happy Hour is also sponsored this week by Pillow. More and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine. And Pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality. Pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically, and you can check in with a full report of your sleep the very next morning. If you have an Apple Watch, tracking your sleep is as easy as wearing it to bed. And if you don't, you can do it through the iPhone or iPad. Just tap a button to start your sleep session. You can even record sounds of the night like sleep talking, apnea, or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep. Use the Pillow app to check trends, get personalized insights, and compare your sleep metrics with your weight, steps, caffeine consumption, and more statistics. And use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time, aiming to wake you up when you're in a stage of lightest sleep. Importantly, Pillow is privacy-minded. All of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device and in iCloud using end-to-end encryption. Pillow is free to download from the App Store with a set of features that you can use for free every day. And try Pillow's premium features with a seven-day trial. Just visit pillow.app to get started. That's pillow.app to get started. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. Apple Watch time. Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah, Apple Watch. Some cool I'm little... Gonna, uh, I'm going to let you talk more right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I cool close my eyes and breathe. Yeah. Well, I mean, this first feature coming to the Apple Watch Series 8 could be inter- highly relevant to you in your current COVID adult state because Mark Gurman says that indeed the Apple Watch Series 8 is going to feature a body temperature sensor. As long as it in modifying qualified, as long as it passes internal tests, which you'd hope by July it's already done that stuff and they know that it's ready to ship in the fall. But anyway, that's you know you have to say that stuff when you're pointing this because anything can change. But uh, what Mark Gaiman says, obviously the uh, body temperature thing has been a rumor for a while. It was first thought that it was coming to the Series Seven last year, and then obviously that didn't happen. And then it was on and off for the Series Eight, I'd say. But Gaiman seems to think that it's going to be it's going to be a lock now. Uh, and it, interestingly, he says that the body temperature feature will not give users a specific reading. So like with the normal thermometer, you just get like 32 degrees or 70 degrees or whatever units you use. Um, 96, but, 98. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the uh, Apple Watch version will not be like that. It will just be like relative good, bad, indifferent, and it should be able to detect if you currently have a fever, and then it would go on to recommend, you know, talking to your doctor or using a dedicated thermometer to get an exact result. So this is a maybe a bit like on the weak side, but I guess it implies that they couldn't get like super accurate readings through the watch. So they're just going for this kind of like zoned benchmark thing of if you're roughly in, you know, a normal range of temperature, then the watch just won't do anything. If you go super low, you go super high, then it's going to be able to flash up and tell you about it, which... All the other, all the other heart, like Apple Watch health sensors, um, do offer specific readings, right? Like you have obviously the heart rate thing tells you your heart rate. You have the uh, blood oxygen actually gives you a percentage 
I'm, I'm not making that right. The blood oxygen gives you a percentage. It gives you it, it, in the background and on demand. Yeah. yeah, and then it also will like flag up if there's something that's of concern. But it sounds like this body temperature thing, you won't get a number. It will just tell you like you need to worry or you're you're doing good. It's more like Apple sleep tracking. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of like atrial fibrillation stuff, right? Because you can technically do the ECG to check for atrial fibrillation, but it doesn't give you like a percentage. It just tells you if you're having you know, chance of AFib or something like that. Well, so, I, I kind of think that they like ideally they would have this replaced with a thermometer because they love to put more, you know, remember those old like iPhone 5S keynotes where they had all the different devices that the iPhone was, you know, was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they love to do that where like, you, you, you know, because but it's all in one, you know. And, um, so I, I bet it, like ideally they'd love to, to get you an exact number, but this is, you know the best shipping thing that they can do, and it's and and it's not useless. I mean, uh, to know that your your temperature has risen higher than it usually is, and that's indicative of a of a fever. That's that's good information. I also think it's funny, like when you read the, the the report on this. You know, the idea is, you know, you have a fever, you tell your doctor. It's not quite as you know you have you have AFib alert. You know, warning, tell your doctor because like that's very serious a fever. I mean, it can be, but it's also like I think it's also just comforting of like. Okay, I, should, I have a fever. I should take some Tylenol or something. Yeah, it just depends. But it certainly feels, even if it's not going to give you exact numbers, which obviously they would like to do if they could. But even without that, it feels more relevant to me than like the blood oxygen one. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the blood oxygen one gives you exact numbers, but I, I, like my always thought, and I guess you know, blood oxygen isn't irrelevant. But like you, as an average person who's like a general, you know, generally healthy individual. Uh, blood oxygen will never help you at all. They always just say 95, 96, 97, 99, 100. But everybody gets cold. Everybody gets fevers, right? So mm-hmm. there's just a lot more relevancy to like a temperature measurement. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to like discount all the people out there who do have like, you know, blood oxygen issues and the Apple Watch actually helped them. Like, that's great. And I'm glad it's there. But like, it's the same with the atrial fibrillation stuff, right? Like, it's great that they have it in the watch, but most people that use an Apple Watch are never going to flag that thing because that's just statistics, right? Most people don't have any any of those issues or any of those ailments but a lot of people get fevers right like an average person is going to get a fever every now and again i mean you're kind of having one right now because you got covid but even in general right people get fevers and stuff so it just having some sort of flag or detection for that is universally useful if i put it that way yeah yeah um the blood oxygen thing i think i'm just kind of ignorant on it because i don't know you know, in the way that we, we've seen stories with the Apple Watch and fall detection and heart rate notification alerts and AFib detection, you know, these are these are stories where people, you know, they, they have a, a major impact and they make the news and they come across our radar. But I, was it Series 6 that added blood oxygen? And I, I don't know that I, I've ever seen a story relevant to blood oxygen being added to the Apple Watch. Yeah. I'm sure it does help some people, but... I know, the, I know there's the yeah I know there's the angle of like, like if it goes below a certain you know like if you're out of the 90s then it's a cause of concern for yeah, sure. The it, other thing it, though is that quite often and again we we're not medical experts but like if you go below 90 you have other symptoms that cause you to get checked or you know sure. you feel yeah. bad in other ways right like whereas something like AFib a lot of people can live for like years and years and years and have no idea that they have. A heart problem but the apple watch could like tell them and well that's why when the the afib came out on the apple watch series 4 there was so many stories for a while where like people were like 
I didn't even believe the Apple Watch. I thought it was just like bugging out and telling me something wasn't true, but it kept being persistent. Yeah. And then I went to the doctor and oh, oh, look, the Apple Watch was right, which is like, you know, obviously great headlines for Apple. But whereas blood oxygen, in general, people like kind of already know that a lot of the time, just or if they've had blood oxygen issues in the past, they get sensors and stuff. So it's not as like a revolutionary thing. Whereas like literally with AFib, people wouldn't have no idea about it. And then they get an Apple Watch and suddenly it would tell them. Yeah, and that's why ECG went first. So uh, temperature, yeah, take, that's that, that's e- even in this um, you know method of being released, it's, it's it's a good thing. You know, we we haven't had a a sensor since eight, since, well, since blood oxygen, I'd say, and this is probably a year where the design is doesn't even like increase the screen marginally um, on the main watch, and so adding a, a sensor to it you know these are these are the years to do that and, and the cpu and gpu are going to be the same speed as the previous year mm. which is the same as the previous year so mm. you know lesser lesser interesting um hardware upgrades at least for that you know, i wish my speed was the same as the previous year and the previous <laughs> year <laughs> however the probably the most like interesting design wise uh model this year for apple series 8 will be this rugged edition that we've been hearing something much about and Mark Gurman also had a report detailing some of that stuff. Uh, he says that the rugged Apple Watch will have a larger screen um, with a with a specifically bigger 1.99-inch display, and that compares to the current big Apple Watch, which has a 1.78-inch display diagonally. So the Apple Watch is a bit annoying and complicated because in the watch world, they measure watches by case height. So when it says 45 millimeters, that isn't like diagonally 45 millimeters, it's top to bottom when you look at your watch face and whereas obviously every other apple product is measured diagonally like the you know the 6.5 inch iphone max or whatever um, yeah, so, i'm sorry if i sound dumb and, and i should know this but is is the watch measurement of millimeters is that display or is it the whole it's the device? whole thing yeah that's what i was thinking yeah yeah but obviously on like the, the latest watches there's not too much bezel right but it does include the bezel part yeah right yeah um but anyway, for to, to make it simple, I, I, I checked what the actual diagonal measurements were for the 45mm Apple Watch, Thank and it's 1.78 inches. So that's the biggest Apple Watch Apple Series today. The new one, which will be the... It sounds like this big new size will be exclusive to the rugged model, um, and that will have 1.99 inch display, which is about 10% bigger. Yeah, Apple Watch so, Max. Yeah. I mean, that's like... 10% is not nothing, right? Like, you'll definitely tell that if you look at it. Like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that... like. The first Apple Watch, they made such a big deal about them doing a 38mm. It's like, look at it. We're really addressing the small watch market. And slowly over time, it's creeped bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't even know if it was Apple that was pushing that. From my recollection, it was was largely like just customer feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to all these other smartwatches, you know, there's nothing that's this this petite, you know, or like this this compact. Uh, And the... The forty millimeter. That's that's the size. If if you're not on, it went, it went, well, what it's was forty one now. Forty forty one now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's still compact, like relatively. You know, it, it even looks more compact than like the forty two millimeter first Apple Watch. But yeah, but it's one it, millimeter it, smaller in height. Yeah, <laughs> it, right, right. Yeah, um, it is bigger, this, obviously, than the thirty eight was, though. Of course. But, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm excited for all of this. Uh, I have no idea like which would appeal to me. But um, it, it it does remind me of this thing that I mentioned from time to time, which is how long can you use screen size increases as a, as a new feature before, especially but when 
um, you know, sort of what you're 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 mentioning, you know, with 38 millimeter. Eventually, like it's it's not a feature; it's a it's a problem. <laughs> uh, and with phones, we've really gotten out there. And I think there's always people that would want bigger than what the than the than the biggest size. Um, it's just that Apple tends to have big and small, but the small keeps going up too. Well, what I don't like about this is the way German wrote it, it sounds like the rugged model won't be available in smaller sizes. Yeah, the way it's written is like it's one size only, which would be a first for a watch. And kind of like, you know, what if I want to do rugged extreme sports? No, no, well, you're going to have, ex- have an extreme watch on your on your non-extreme wrist, I guess. I don't know. Or like if you're like a, you know, women generally have smaller hands and smaller arms and stuff, but they're not going to get a rugged option. Like. What 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 stands out to me, or what's weird to me here, is uh, that may, maybe it will still be weird whenever they release it. But it sounds from the report that this is obviously um, it's a model that's tougher than the than the standard Apple Watch model, aluminum model, which used to be you know Apple Watch Sport. And I guess I guess they right right now with stainless steel and titanium, they market those. I mean, not for their qualities, but just for their like more premium, you know, jewelry factor. And that this would be, again, not aluminum, maybe maybe one of those two materials, you know, steel or something different entirely, maybe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but it's not pushed as jewelry. It's it's pushed as tough, but it's still, you know, this is the 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 more expensive thing than standard Apple Watch. Yeah, because Mark says it's going to be using a stronger metal, but at the same time. He believes the rugged watch will be priced above the stainless steel Apple Watch pricing, so i.e. at least seven hundred dollars starting price. Hmm. Yeah, which is expensive. Like, yeah, I mean, the, remember when the, the iPhone ten came out and it was like it was way more expensive, but it was also just like a leap forward. It kind of feels like that moment, but without it being such a leap forward. But it's yeah, like the, they're, like, they're, they're putting I've, something I've, even higher end in the market. The, the problem it's, is like the. If this is if this model is positioned to like be the option for like all the sports, you know, the equivalent to the sports watches and stuff that are out in the market and like have big batteries and you know big and bulky and rugged, like sports watches, yeah, I mean you can get expensive ones, but most of them that are sold, they're like two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, that kind of pricing, oh, i.e., like oh, for, for base sure. Apple Watch yeah. pricing, right? And not premium like fashion pricing of like the stainless steel models, so. A seven hundred dollar and up price for the rugged one doesn't sound gr- like. Don't love it to be honest. If if the like, because I would just never buy at that price. Like my like, I don't like buying Apple watches the, the at four hundred dollars. Uh, you know, and spending more on them in case they get broken and stuff. Like if I'm buying the rugged one, I'm like admitting it's going to be you know bashed around and stuff. And like I'd rather that be a cheaper model rather than you know a super high premium model. But yeah, well, well, maybe the maybe the you know rugged extreme sports like that's Mark's reporting, but maybe it's not quite what they're going to you know what, what their angle is yeah. um and, and they've always you know had a premium version of the same hardware so you know you originally had the, the gold apple watch edition you know between ten thousand and seventeen thousand dollars um that was functionally no different just the material was different and then you've had ceramic and titanium over the years but you've never had a model that is um not just different materials but also you know se- seems more more advanced in the than the, than the rest of the lineup. Yeah, you, unique size, which also probably which means it has a bigger screen resolution, which, mean, which means you'll be able to see slightly more on screen than any yeah. other model. And because it's slightly bigger, they can probably pack in a larger battery, 
which will mm-hmm. mean it will last longer, right? And so yeah. if it's if it's if it is aimed at like the rugged, you know, extreme sports market, it seems like a good choice for a marathon watch because ideally it would last the whole marathon marathon comfortably while doing, you know, workout tracking. But at the same time, that sticker shock price is a bit prohibitive. Yeah, I also think that Apple um like I, I would I would think that they just be- they they want to present all of Apple watches as durable. They are. Yeah. That that's how they market the Series Seven too. Is just the most durable, uh, no matter what version you have. So I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I guess maybe it's a prediction, but but maybe that this isn't marketed as as the rugged edition or the sports, you know, the the super sport focused one. But it's it's more, you know, it's if you're super enthusiastic about the Apple Watch, this is the version that's got the most. But but it it also costs more because you know it's like when the iPhone 10 came out and it was. Um, you know, a thousand dollars versus you know eight hundred dollars or so for for what was just sort of the evolution of the previous thing. Yeah, maybe they call it like Apple Watch Explorer, and it is more rugged, but they don't like because they're not going to call it the rugged one, right? So they, no, it's not. It would, they'll call it like Apple Watch, you know, some adjective, and then in the, if you read the text closely, it'll say, "And this has our strongest metal ever," and blah 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 blah, blah. just like how they just like how they phrase like Ion X glass is the strongest glass we ever ship and then the very next paragraph is like but you can get sapphire which is even better so they, they have ways of, of phrasing it for sure yeah, yeah. It, it could be this year's version of edition I mean they maybe they could, maybe they could change the edition strategy from being you know same 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 hardware to you know I, I, I'm sort of I mean I think that's how I'm thinking about it right now is mm-hmm. is less of the the rugged sports watch and more of you know the iPhone 10 moment and it was like, if you're very enthusiastic, you want that one. And if, you know, and then for most people, you look at that and you're like, $1,000 for a phone and it's weird. No way. Yeah. Would you go bigger on your watch if they offered it? Like ignoring all the other stuff? If they just, if you just had a, a bigger screen size, would you take it? Uh, Most likely. I've always gone with the bigger watch size and I've also felt like I can probably go a little bit bigger. Like I haven't yet met, you know, I talk about it of like, there's got to be a limit before to what, how, how they can use screen size as a new feature. Um, but I haven't yet met that threshold where it's like, this is it. <laughs> if you go any bigger, I can't do it. So. so you could, yeah, you could be in the market this possibly, if you see what I mean, like the screen size is a draw. Yeah. yeah I don't, I don't like thinking about future products <laughs> and buying for, stuff. For me, I'm maxed out. Like I have yeah. the smallest for, well, I have the, the series four smallest one, which is 40. Right. And, I mean, it's it's so close to being too big. It, like it's just on, just barely all right. So my arms yeah. are just it, tiny. And it's all, you know, it's all it's all what subjective and yeah. Because uh, I like having a bit of padding. Like you know, I, I don't like the watch rectangle of the screen being right at the edge of your arm. Like I like it being like inset in the middle with a bit of you know band top and bottom. Which I don't think I think it's generally like the general like fashion approach to that. Like people don't have it like go to the extremes in general. Uh, but with that condition, I'm like at the maximum. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like the diversity of the lineup, especially if they make this a thing every year that you've got, you know, mainstream sizes and then you've got some extremes because, you know, they could even do, whereas they haven't had the success with the iPhone mini, you know, they, they could have success probably with this, with the, mm-hmm. you know, optimizing for miniature on the watch options. Happy Hour is also brought to you by Ladder. You know, I've started wearing glasses this year and it just kind of hit me, you know, oh damn, I'm, I'm getting older. And stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. 
And Ladder has taken the life insurance industry, modernized it for a digital world, and shook out all of the inefficiencies. And as you are reminded just how fragile life is, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. You just pay a little bit each month to protect the ones that you love. If you're thinking about this stuff, then why not choose Ladder for your next life insurance plan? Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork required. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. You fill out Ladder's application form, and their smart algorithms will work out in real time and tell you instantly if you are approved. Ladder has no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. You can even get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and Ladder even made Forbes's best life insurance list for 2021. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure, but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's ladderlife, L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. All right, we have iOS 16 beta 3. This was, I, was, I was happy to see this release this week. Yeah, it's been a... <laughs> It's been a couple of weeks off, and now we're back again. Hey, welcome back! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. This is this is good that we, you know, we, we had this embargoed news about lockdown mode. Um, maybe the, the day before the release came out, and it's in it's in beta three. But lockdown mode—that's an interesting one. Yeah. So, if you recall, at the end of or maybe the beginning of this year, Apple sued. Uh, the Pegasus spyware creator NSO group, right? I think it was the end of last year. And this was after there'd been the latest rounds of news reports that uh, political activists and journalists in, in other countries had been targeted by, you know, malicious nation-state actors uh, and basically hacked to have all the information turned over and they were basically getting spied on through their phone because they were exploiting uh, vulnerabilities in iOS and Android and Apple was very mad about it. They said they have identified the flaws, um, you know, in that particular exploit. But also, they were taking NSA Group uh, to court in a lawsuit to try and stop them from doing this. Like, whether they're, whether it's successful is a different matter. But clearly, they're not um, just going to court. They're also implementing technical solutions. So, what they've done with the latest beta of iOS 16 is there's a lockdown mode. It's a toggle hidden in privacy settings that is specifically designed for not the average person. Like most people in the world do not have to be worrying about the risk of getting spied on by a nation state because the kind of exploits that lockdown mode is targeting to defend against are the kind of ones that cost millions of dollars, right, to actually invoke because every single time one of these super rare or super complicated exploits is used, it risks it getting exposed, which then means Apple will fit patch it. And so it costs a lot of money if you want to do this kind of stuff because they don't want to have to go around and find another exploit. They want to keep using the same one. And so this, what Apple calls mercenary spyware is nation-state sponsored in general. So for most people out there, you know, you or me, anybody like that, you don't need to turn this on. But if you're like 
a, a political activist, a journalist in you know in that space, in a third world country, in a country that is known to do this kind of activities, like in China, for instance. Um, or if you're a president, because or if you work in the government offices, this might be something that is mandated and obviously advisable. And so basically, what it does is you turn it on, your phone restarts, and then a load of stuff that have been common attack vectors for these massive exploits like Pegasus are completely disabled. So this is the first time that Apple was like, look, we we are always trying to make the iPhone as secure as possible, but clearly there are some areas where people keep getting in with different hacks. So here's what we're going to do. Here's a switch. You turn it on. We're just going to turn off a load of stuff. So the biggest thing probably is like messaging and web browsing are impacted. So in lockdown mode, in the messages app, uh, any kind of like rich multimedia attachments other than images are completely blocked. So like if you send me a link, it doesn't try and expand it into a, a rich preview. It just send shows me, you the URL. It just you shows the you the copy, URL and that's which it. Which you have to yeah. copy and paste to even open, right? Like yes, yes. Because yeah. a very common attack vector, like iMessage is a complicated complicated application. And basically it's a, it's a post box for anybody to contact you, right? Because all you need is your phone number or email address and then a, a malicious person can send you a payload to that address and the phone receives it and passes it. And if um, the code is got flaws in it, then that passing is what's used to install the, the malware. So one, one, and one clear vector is that people would send like links and the links would like, break, you know, the, the, like zero click exploits. Remember that term was being bandied around? Because what was right. happening is people were sending like links to websites that were especially crafted that when the phone would try and render the preview, it would go wrong and then it would lead to arbitrary code execution and you'd get um, Spyro on your phone. So messages, no more rich previews if you're in lockdown mode. Similarly, web browsing... Apple is basically just turning off advanced Safari features that are generally useful in that they offer great performance and and features to average customers, but they're kind of like known holes for code exploits to come in. The biggest one being just-in-time compilation, which is where like JavaScript is downloaded and interpreted at runtime and compiled into like machine code that is running at higher privilege than most other code on the entire phone can run at in general. So like, and it, it escapes some of the general sandboxing requirements. So that's another place where uh, malicious actors try and get into the phone through. Um, so now if you're in lockdown mode, you don't get the, ju- the just-in-time compilation, which basically means some websites either load more slowly than they would normally, or they don't load at all. Uh, I actually went in lockdown mode uh, just to try it out. And like, for instance, if you go to apple.com, it like disables rich font loading. So all of the icons on the Apple.com homepage don't load. You just see squares and like some other stuff goes a bit wacky. Uh, similarly, other stuff that gets cancelled in lockdown mode includes like incoming invitations and service requests, like FaceTime calls. Um, iCloud shared albums are also disabled. Uh, that's the old shared albums feature. And then there's some other stuff too, like if you connect to with a wire, wired connections are only are blocked unless while the iPhone is locked etc etc and so that's the current list that's in the current beta and i'm sure what will happen is over time when apple finds new exploits they'll just expand lockdown mode to to turn off more stuff right and um i think it's like it's it's an admission that like apple's basically saying we're not perfect we can't solve this stuff as as nicely as we would because in an ideal world 
messages just won't be exploitable, right? But that's impractical, clearly, because it's been like three years. And even with iOS 15, they made such a big song and dance about Blastor publicly as like a security feature. And then clearly they still found ways around it. So obviously they're still working on making messages as secure as possible. But in the interim, if you're worried, you can turn on lockdown mode and the biggest attack vectors are just completely unavailable to a possible nation state invasion. Yeah, and, and the the I mean, it, it, anyone can use it. If you're on the iOS 16 beta on beta developer beta three or later, then you can you can try it out. Reboot your phone, you know, so it's like a restart on your phone, and then you know, on the surface, like it's not much of a different experience. It's it's the particulars, you know. Whenever you do receive those things on messages, or um, you know, the biggest like visual indicator is on Safari where you've got the lockdown mode label on, yeah. on, your, on your browser chrome um so uh, and the, the facetime one you know it was it's so, someone who you've never called so if if i think it's like if, if you've never called them before you didn't initiate that call they can't call you a facetime so um uh, you know uh, i think a lot of this stuff you could uh, you could you could disable javascript entirely on your phone if you wanted to it just breaks the web in a big way so um some of the stuff you can do on your own. This is much more aggressive, but it's certainly not a feature that you would just say, "Well, I want more privacy." I'm not. I'm not at extreme risk or anything, but I just want more privacy. I think it's this. This like breaks the threshold of comfortable. Like you, you know, you, you start. You're like, why isn't your phone doesn't like quite, quite work right? You know. Yeah, especially on Safari. Like, I mean, Apple.com would render incorrectly, for instance, right? that's just apple.com like even more complicated like web app style websites will probably be broken even more um, yeah. so that's the biggest like downside uh and again you're not being advised to turn this on like most people 99 percent of people in the in the maybe even more than nine you know 99.9 percent of people in the world should have no interest in turning this thing on but it's there for people that need it because the iphone is so pervasive you know, important people have iPhones now. So it used to be like all the enterprises would give them all Blackberries and stuff that were locked down. Well, now you've got iPhones that are locked down, including this lockdown mode option. And if you if if you like, you know, maybe a journalist or something that mostly works in the UK, for instance, like a generally safe country, you can turn it off. But say if you're going on like a, a business trip visit to a Israel or some other like questionable uh, area, you can turn on lockdown mode just while you're visiting and then when you come home you can turn it off again if you're if you want to be slightly extra careful because there's no like lasting problem it's not like it like wipes your phone or anything every time you turn it on or off you just turn it on restart okay you're done turn it off restart again so it's there if you want it and you know the people especially if you're like political activists and stuff they'll probably turn this on they're turning all this on they have a slightly worse safari experience but they'll have safety and knowledge that it's going to be a lot harder for them to get spied on yeah. Yeah, the f- the first time you receive uh, a message that you know it's clearly not what it you know it's just the blank URL and you're like, well, that's suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, and you this, remember, this like, works. as part of the Pegasus like lawsuit thing, Apple said that they were going to contact all the people that they had found, you know, had been invaded by this stuff, and yes, they sent all those yeah. text messages like, "You've been attacked." Blah, blah, blah. You, you couldn't. Those do messages about basically it. just like ended like. Be aware, some other yeah. people might have information. Full stop. Now that if that happens again, they can at least say. Be aware, you know, blah, 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 blah. Turn on lockdown mode in the future to help prevent against these kind of attacks. You know, they can at least give some direct thing that somebody can do rather than just like smashing their phone up. Right, right, yeah. Lockdown mode. And, Other and, stuff. And also, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say one more thing is, mm-hmm. is uh, you know, it was interesting that it came out 
um, you know, as, as a news release uh, versus as part of WWDC, but it's just, that just is amplifies it as very much not a consumer facing feature, even though yep. you can, it faces you and you can try it out. Um, it, it's that, that just you know emphasizes that it's not meant for the masses. Yeah. Some other stuff in beta three that is meant for the masses. Uh-huh. There's new uh, font options for the lock screen. So, the default font on the lock screen time is quite bold now when I was 16, but now there's font options that you can choose. There's a different font style, and then there's one which is the iOS 15 font. So if you like the iOS 15 clock uh, look, which is like a, a thinner font, you know, more Johnny Ivy in, in in fashion. But I think I think for like the like the poster of your home screen, like a, the big time, the the thin font kind of looked pretty cool. But so now in beta three, you can choose that as an option if you want to go back to that, which is cool. Um, there's virtual card generation integration Safari for autofill. So um, we even had a previous sponsor on the show, um, like privacy.com, where they did this, where basically every single time you make a purchase, you make a separate card number and like you can just cancel that card individually. There's going to be integration for those kind of services inside of Safari with. So the autofill, oh, cool. the autofill thing can make the virtual card for you each and every time. It's it, because this isn't like a, an official thing. We found this through like code references and stuff. It's not clear. If that feature would be like limited to the Apple Card or select partners or maybe you know Apple Pay partners that do that support virtual card generation or something, but we'll find out more obviously when that feature's like done for real. But that's that's a cool little addition. And then the perhaps the best miscellaneous change is they've brought back the clownfish wallpaper from clownfish. the original iPhone before my iPhone time. <laughs> yeah, so the 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 picture that was on like the original iPhone announcement, like that lock screen image, is now back from some people in iOS 16 Beta 3. It seems a bit like buggy where it takes a while to show up or something. Like it wasn't shown for me at first. Then a bit later, it was suddenly there. But you can have the clownfish. And it's not just a static image. They've added the same kind of depth effects that you get with like the portrait images. So you have like parallax as you unlock and they're like the sea urchins kind of move around as in front and there's the two clownfish in the middle. And the way that the like um image is laid out the time like perfectly clips the bottom of of the fish in the default mode so it just looks really nice uh mm-hmm. yep yeah. this reminds me of you know they they took the earth wallpaper from the you know first round of wallpapers and, and uh made that modern too so that's, that's cool and and it also kind of kind of suggests that we'll see more collections added over time i mean i think it was kind of you, you could you could guess that anyway because it's sort of watch face style where mm-hmm. you, you know you've already got the um the watch face equivalent you know of the pride face and the unity face and now you know we've we've seen uh how you can do a software update not see clownfish and then clownfish later appears <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah and one casualty of this like wallpaper you know overhaul is that all of the like the device specific wallpapers have all been removed um, in the first couple of betas. So it would be kind of cool if one of the options in that big wallpaper gallery was just like a big stack of all of the old wallpapers from all over the years, and you can just choose them and go back to them if you want. Because if it's a bit weird that they they just do the clownfish, you know, it kind of implies they're going to bring back a lot more. Yeah, uh, so they've got the the six colors. Uh, yes, the like the pride one. Yeah. And well, the Apple, lo- sorry, the, like the Apple inspired yeah. stripes, yeah, yeah, d- different from Pride. So, so they've they've got those that were before, but they've they've updated. The, you know, that's there, but it's a collection that works with the depth effect. And so, 
all the old wallpapers are gone. You know, a that there's no more like live wallpaper experience, which that's one of the features is on every um, stock wallpaper that you get. Although that's like device specific. You can long press it and it animates. Well, long presses now to edit your lock screen. So they're, those are, those are no more. Um, but I guess I'll, you know, they don't have any just like flat images that are not depth effects out of the box. Like, I guess you can do color, but that's, that's the, the basic, just like your, and they have emoji you can do, which is just like a pattern of emoji. I don't think that does any depth thing, yeah. but they do, they do animate though. Like when you unlock it, like they like move around a bit. Right. So even if they don't like overlap the time, they like, like animate you, as you unlock. Yeah, yeah. If you use your own photo, it just it just rolls in. But if you use these, like the the, the clownfish one is the most noticeable. But the way that it it's got layers to it, and then like stages of animation to it each time you you unlock. Um, I I would assume that going forward, like with iPhone 14 and beyond, the device specific wallpapers are you know unique to the to that to that to that iphone mm-hmm. but our depth effect created you know this oh, yeah yeah like that yeah which, which so they're is, gonna just basically bin the past but going forward they'll make new yeah, ones for all the new yeah. phones yeah. which by the way like you know with, with 3d touch like that was just a cool demonstration of like firmly pressing to your phone and it animates um but it never and then it became long press but it never animates automatically Mm-hmm. And, and and these have more character than that because like it's either a static image or you press it and it just kind of plays for you. Um, but it was always like you you'd you'd pick it up as like something whimsical on accident if you you know just rest your finger there for too long. Whereas these you see it every single time. So I think this is um, more more playful and whimsical and, and and positive. Even even if we're saying goodbye to all the old ones. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Check them out at BetterHelp.com slash Mac happy hour. Have you thought about the ways that you take care of your mind? There's so much focus on physical fitness, like gyms, working out, and you know, that's all true and important, but mental well-being is also crucial and often overlooked. We only have one brain, so we should all look after it more than we do. How we care for our mind affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest the time to keep it healthy. And a great way to take care of your brain is getting regular sleep or taking up something stimulating like learning a new language. And another way is through therapy, and that's where BetterHelp Online Therapy comes in. It sounds a bit silly, but just having someone to talk to is the key to relieving so much stress and anxiety. Therapy is a great tool to discuss your lifestyle issues with a neutral party who is understanding and responsive. And therapists are particularly trained to help your mental well-being. They know how to listen and how to help best. So what is BetterHelp exactly? BetterHelp is custom online therapy that offers video, phone and live chat only sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Just do what you're comfortable with. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash machappyhour. That's spelled B-E-T-T-E-R h-e-l-p dot com slash mac happy hour betterhelp dot com slash mac happy hour thanks to betterhelp for sponsoring the show uh, lastly we've got something else new in ios uh 16 beta 3 and and mac os ventura beta 3 uh icloud shared photo library and you and i got to try this out yesterday and you know, create a shared photo library of just a few photos that are actual entire libraries and See how it works. See how we can both edit photos and everything, and deletes and all that. So. It worked pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the operative word is definitely move. So 
Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about like a finder on the Mac, you have folders and then you have tags, right? And most people don't really use tags, but they're there. And what tags are basically like labels you can apply to multiple files and then you can see a view of all the tags of the same color. And But that means you don't have to have all your things in the same color also in the same folder because like folders hierarchical and tags are just like transient labels that you can search and filter by. The The way that the iCloud shared library works is definitely more like a folder than it is like labels because I think one way that Apple could have approached this is you have your own library and then you like tag some with like a shared label and then anybody in your sharing group can see all your shared pictures and that'd be a separate thing but they'd still like live in your personal standard library in general but the metaphor is not like that what they've done is you have like an entirely separate library that you can invite multiple people to and multiple people can add photos to they can edit the photos there and they can delete them and so you have it's very like the metaphors are very um distinct you have your personal library you have your shared library and then there's a view where you can view the contents of both your personal library and the shared library in line together but it's very clear the photos only exist in one place at once so if you have a photo you want to share with somebody else you are moving it to the shared library it doesn't exist in your personal library anymore anybody else can theoretically delete it and if you don't notice it could go away forever um and if you don't own the if if the if the other if the owner of the shared library ends the shared library you can get the opportunity to download all your pictures again but if they don't like delete the library explicitly if they're just like editing your photos deleting some those deletes can happen and you could never find out about it so you are entrusting your group of shared library friends or family to not be like malicious or like vandalizing right because those are the canonical versions of your pictures it's not like you can just take a night like if i've got a nice picture of me for instance and it lives and i want to share it with my family i'm trusting them that they're not gonna like edit it or crop it in a way that i don't like right like it really is like a this is the same the library every edit everything syncs between each and everybody else and so you just have to keep that in mind if you're going to use this feature it's not like just posting a photo to twitter right where oh there's a separate copy now that other people can see like this is a second library it works in exactly the same way as your own normal library does up to ios 15 except that multiple people can contribute to the same thing right i mean if you're looking at the file system on your mac and you you know you open up the photo library package you know there's there's files there it's like having two photo library files you know it's it's two different libraries. You know, it's like having one on an external drive and one on your computer. Two different, two different libraries. It's just that one shared. Uh, in, in those three views, you know, it, it is limited to that because you can't have multiple shared libraries. So you can't say like, "This is my personal. This is shared with my parents. This is shared with my partner." And and there's there's those shared libraries. It's just this is my personal. This is my shared. And it's not you know it, it's whoever you share with. It's that that library. And there's that combined view. Now, what I what I found kind of like it broke my brain of like you know how photos works is okay. I can see combined, and there's my photos and your photos. I can see personal, and there's my photos. But there was no way to see photos that I only I took. Um, like what you wanted to see was like regardless of where you shared them to, yeah. all the pictures that were taken by you. Right. So your options were like. Everything shared, uh-huh. just yours. Everything uh-huh. shared plus yours, 
but there was no way to like filter out to be like everything yours plus the stuff you shared to the shared library right like, that's the view that doesn't exist yeah and and, and you know i think it's okay it's just that just took me a little bit to get my head around um, and i think the metadata for that like to if they wanted to do that feature in the future that metadata is saved because like if you go into sure, the shared yeah. library and you scroll down in that little info box it tells you shared by blah and you can even go in the search and like search for shared by person's name so they know like whose photo it originally belonged to because like as also if you sh- if you scroll through the shared library photos if it's one that you added to the shared library in the top right there's like a big move back to personal button if you like made yeah. a mistake or whatever so yeah. they're definitely keeping track of the original owners and so maybe like a smart album on the mac or down the road just like an inbuilt view there should be a way to give you like the stuff only from you if they want to enable it yeah I, and i think it's probably the right strategy right now to not do that by default it, it just I, I think my 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 expectation was that i would see okay here's everything i took and here's everything you know i i'm sharing plus yours uh it it does help with the, the anxiety of oh no that i share something i didn't mean to because it literally won't be in that library and it's just that you won't also, you know if i i think i think the breakdown of the libraries is is what gets me but right now i i, I don't even have a situation where i'm going to use the feature you know so that so it's not a you know i'm not super concerned about it, it uh you know but yeah like if you're if you're coming you at it, from, it the, from the from from like wanting i want to share these pictures with these three people and these pictures with these three people and these pictures with these, like you're obviously going to be disappointed because yeah it's not supported and it's not even like an obvious thing they can add like as a little add-on like it's a right. it's a very yeah. different setup to what they've that, gone that's with. the old model of shared albums which has all kind of asterisks attached to it yeah like mm-hmm. and shared albums still exist at the moment but obviously you get low-res pictures and it's obviously not preferred like this shared library feature that they've and of course we tried it in beta 3 i think we were more brave than most <laughs> but <laughs> obviously we only did it for like a day or whatever so maybe long term there's reliability and stuff but in the in the time we got to try it out it seemed pretty good. I will say that when you add a photo, when you move to the shared library, it does seem like it's like having to fully upload the picture again. Because yeah, it doesn't it's not move fast. immediately. It takes a while. It, it's the same speed as if you have your photos local in your drive and you've got your photos also in iCloud and there's that matching period. Yeah. It's like that where it wants to process everything. So. Yeah, so it's not like on the cloud server, they're just like adding a little check mark to it that now it's in no, shared, so they don't have to... Re- but there's like an upload or like a file download copy progress pro- process going on. Yeah, I pictured it as there's someone at the server that goes and pulls the drive and then moves it over there. <laughs> it's a long walk. Uh, but yeah, it's the fact that it is so different from shared albums is good. That's, you know, that that there's been a request for a feature that shared albums didn't didn't touch. Um, you made the comment that there's no like social feature. Like the one thing kind of missing um, is is that it is just like your library. There's there's no um, like commenting or liking or anything like that the way that you can from from shared libraries, which you know is a nice feature. Uh, you know, I reckon it's just that it's based on the library feature from before, and it's just a second library. You know, yeah, I, I think they could probably add some basic social stuff down the road, but they've definitely gone with like. It's literally based on the existing library code from before, but sure. And the up. scenario, you know, I think it's like you, you sh- the shared library thing. You, you you have your shared experience, and you all want to put pitch in your pictures from that experience. And this this is more like you're, you're communicating every day anyway with your partner or whoever. 
And so there's not as much of a need of like commenting on those. We've, we found that if you favorite a photo, it favorites for each person. So <laughs> yeah, that feels a bit silly to me. <laughs> like the, I don't know, the fact like, that other edits sync across is great because that means anybody can like crop and improve the photos. But yeah. like favoritings are very like individual personal things. So ideally, I sure. wouldn't have those. But it, but it is a separate favorite library from your library. Like it albums is. are separate. Yeah, and there's a little bit of weirdness there. Like um, I could make an album that was just like spam letters and put a picture in it from our shared library. And then I would go to my personal library and that album still existed. It was just empty. You know, and that mm-hmm. was kind of an oddity. I, 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 I that might be a better thing. Yeah. Could, could be. Um, I really like the feature where you, you've, you can open the camera app and take a picture and there's a toggle just like for flash and live photo and everything that you can say, this is for my shared or this is not for my shared. And so if, you know, if you're on a vacation or you're like taking pictures of your kids and you know, this is one that you want to have go to that album, you've got a, a toggle right there. It does blend in a good bit, like with the other, you know, I would I would say like creative settings, and it, I, I, you know, it, I think it maybe should be a little bit more distinguished, like maybe not be Different yellow color. and black, yeah, yeah, maybe not yellow and black, but like blue and black, blue, I don't yeah. know, blue and white, like make it pop a little bit more because it's not a creative control. It's a where is this photo going control? But um, you know, I'm really glad that that's a feature. Lot, lots of good settings too. I mean, you know, we mentioned the deleting thing. You, you, it's off by default, but you can have an alert if a, an item is deleted. So you can be notified every time something is deleted. And, um, and when something's deleted, it goes into the shared library's recently deleted album right. for a month where anybody yeah. can delete it permanently or restore the picture if they want to. So yeah. it works it's, just it, like a personal library in that way. Yeah. It's just like a second library. Um, I, I, I think maybe like what I'm trying to get my head around a little bit more now with the way that I, I do like the simplicity of how it's structured. Cause there's, there's just no uncertainty of like, like you still, there's still risk of you might share a photo. You didn't want it to go there. Um, I don't think by default, like screenshots are going to go there. Uh, I, I, if I was in messages and I use the camera app and messages the the control for using shared wasn't there. So it was just the camera app. Um, yeah, this this system is obviously quite is simple, like mm-hmm. which I do, and and it's going to address like ninety percent of what people have wanted for years and years and years. Like yeah, this address yeah. is my use case for sure. Where we used to have we had a family sharing group, and one person in the family would have like the canonical photo library. So if we wanted photos to be on the TV or something, we just send all the photos to them. But that was kind of sucky because then everybody else's libraries couldn't see the pictures unless you got their, you know, the 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 owners, the the privileged owners. Uh, of the big libraries like devices looked at it there and then like the apple tv had to be signed into that person's account to make sure that the screensavers would work with the family right now we just have one shared library amongst us all and anybody can see the pictures anybody can edit them you know add new pictures delete the rubbish ones like it's it's exactly what we what we want as a family to have um are there going to be some other use cases which aren't addressed sure but i think the way you should probably approach this mentally is like Apple's giving you like a shared library for your family or a close group of friends because it doesn't necessarily depend on a family sharing group, but you can only have one library. So it's like, here's a second library that you can do some collaboration on. If you want to do like other social stuff, probably use like Facebook or Twitter or, you know, some other social thing. Like it's not a social experience. It's very much like a, you used to have a personal shared library. Well, now you, sorry, you used to have a personal library. Well, now you can have a personal library, but some other people can help you manage it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And talking about the automatic sharing stuff, so you're yeah. in the camera app, you can turn it on or off at any time by clicking the button, and you can optionally enable share automatically. And the way share automatically works is 
if the camera app detects you are nearby participants in the shared library, photos you take will be automatically sent to the shared library, not the personal library. And this the only way this seems to work based on the description settings is by Bluetooth. So it's, ba- it's purely based off Bluetooth device proximity. Which is close range. Which is close range. Yeah. Um, so like the, the facial recognition stuff, like... If I let's imagine it, you know, we we're, we're still in the shared library together. I take a picture of you, but you weren't near me. By default, that will not go in the shared library. So they're being very cautious there. What will happen is like when you're in the photos app, it will notice the the faces and the, and it will suggest you or say, do you want to move these pictures to the shared library so Zach can enjoy them and everybody else? And you can say yes or no. But the only like automatic option is based on device proximity. So if you went to the beach and you have your iPhones with you. Then pictures you take automatically go to the shared place. But in general, it's it's opt in, as in you open the app. There's some suggestions about stuff to share to the shared library, but it's not bounded by default. There is one other setting for the automatic, which is share when at home. So uh-huh. even if nobody else is around, if you're at home, any picture you take goes to the shared library by default. If you've got this setting turned on, which is nice if you're in if you're doing the family use case like me, right? So maybe the rest half of the family's out and about. But I'm at home and, you know, with some friends, I take some pictures. They go to the shared library by default. Uh, the, you know, the babies come around from the, from the relatives, but other people aren't there. Take pictures because I'm at home. It uploads. And again, that's turned off by default, but you can turn it on. I think it's a clever saying. But in general, outside of Bluetooth proximity, it's not going to do any automatic putting in the shared place. It's going to, most of the photos you take will go to the personal library first. You can manually move them to the shared library or there'll be suggestions in the photos app to move them there. Yeah. And and when we did our trial and I was, you know, I was just nervous about it and was like, when can, when can we pull this thing up? You know, we're done testing it now. Um, but, uh, the, the setup process, I mean, we, we, all, you know, one reason it was so smooth for us is that I chose to share a single photo and you chose to share five and then we took some more and moved them around. And, and even that took, you know, some, some processing time, but imagine, may, uh, you know, uh, tens of thousands of photos would take a while. But it's just yeah, on like thing. first setup, if you're right, if you're yeah. migrating from a, all your pictures from personal to shared, first time around, it's probably gonna take a while. Probably, I would guess the same amount of time it takes when you like set up a new Mac and it has to download all your pictures. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like instantaneous. Yeah, but, but after it's all after it's all synchronized, it it'll, I think it will perform just the same as the personal library does where it's syncing, which is generally pretty fast and pretty reliable. Yeah. And I, I could see this as like uh, this the shared one is your main one and your personal one is like your scraps, you know, your screenshots and mm-hmm. pictures of receipts and notes and things like that. Because, uh, I, you know, I'd say if you have a lot of photos, they're probably of special moments, you know, people you care about, places you've, you've been and want to share, et cetera, you know. Um, so, so that would be like your main one would be that shared one and then your your personal would be, which is the different from now, you know, in the way that we were kind of, trying it out was well we've, we've got our main one but the shared one is just where, where our playground um and I, I think in real use case your shared one becomes your main one um and and your prime your primary your, your personal one is just you know the, it's a whole other category of photos i guess you know but yeah i think and 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 inviting people it's quite simple there's only a few little steps and it was all very clear what was going on like yeah i feel i like Maybe I'd be the one to set up the shared library in the first instance, but inviting my family members, they would get what's going on, you know? Like, you just get an invite through messages, they press the button, they choose which pictures they want to import as part of the setup, they can choose none, and then just join the shared library if they want, and there you go. Like, I feel like it's a very good system that's 
perfectly addressing like the 80-20 design thing where you know you're addressing 80% of what people want at the expense of the 20% like edge case stuff but it may, it means the 80% that is implemented is done quite simply and quite easily to understood so i think they've done a good job with it uh, finally, we'll end on the MacBook Air. Uh, as as we record, this comes out in, in the well, in the, the pre-orders began tomorrow. So as we, you know, if you're listening, uh, available uh, as of this morning to pre-order the redesigned MacBook Air with M2, and then uh, be be a, a a week from from Friday, a week from the eighth on on the fifteenth, they'll on be the in stores. Yeah, and I think on the fourteenth we'll see the reviews for those things, right? That's or maybe maybe the. Th- 13th or the 12th depending on how they do I'm, it i'm just using mkbhd's calendar so <laughs> for real <laughs> so, That's funny. Uh, yeah 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 and, and you're not buying one you've got a macbook pro 16 inch m1 yeah max yeah. i'm very happy yeah i've got other priorities in a mac mac studio i want one but it's not at the top of my priority list right now <laughs> so the may, may, maybe when inventory settles out um it'll it'll be there it's definitely a draw for you, let's put it that way. That's yes, is mm-hmm. I'm. Dr- oh, and one random thing about the MacBook Air that we actually knew since the announcement, but a load of people noticed this week was the the charging uh, cable. So they have color matched MagSafe chargers, but the end that plugs into the charger is always white. We so, knew that from the announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I saw a picture of it like months like a month ago. Yeah. Oh, hmm. you should have told me. I, sh- I, I I maybe I did. Let's put it that way. I don't know. Maybe I didn't, but. Uh, yeah, basically, if you have, you can get a midnight uh, MagSafe charger, but the bit that goes into the wall will be bright white, which I think a lot of people would rather it just match the midnight color all the way in. But yeah, of course, the brick is white that you get from Apple. They only sell white power adapters, but it's the the hard, you know, the plug part that's white as well. Even if you've got a a dark cable, which is not the same as what they do on the the HomePod Mini, it's got a dark cable, dark you know, protective area around the plug and then a white a power adapter. So, yeah. I, the, the, the way I thought about it is that um, if you had a black connector at the end or like the plate, you know, it, it's not like the, the metallic part, but it's the plasticky part around it. If, you had, if that was color matched, then you could find a third party brick that was also that same color. You know, it's easy to find an anchor or something, you know, um, UFCC charger, and then it would be blacked out but in this case it's not going to be it's always going to you're always going to have that little white connector there which is you know in in the very minor but it's one of those goofy things i think <laughs> i'm just annoyed that they didn't do the ma- the matching magsafe colors when i bought my laptop like well they, they've only half matched them so you know <laughs> <laughs> i know but i bought the space gray one i spent untold thousands on the MacBook pro and they're like nope here's just a silver magsafe charger but then the MacBook Air comes along like Five months later, oh, we can we can color ninety percent of it for you. Well, you know what? Technology advances over time. So. <laughs> they needed the M2 chip to do colored connectors. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. All right. That is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email Benjamin and I together at Happy Hour at nine to five Mac dot com. I am sharp this week <laughs> you can follow me on twitter at apollo zach that's a-p-o-l-l-o-z-a-c benjamin you're on twitter at bzamao and we'll be back next week bye everybody bye bye